0: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippi Show. This week, two coups thwarted, one by the Supreme Court, sort of, and by, and the other, seriously, the President of Belarus. This can't be right. And of course, more Trump tape leaks but Ron DeSantis isn't exactly taking advantage. Man, do we have a lot to cover, and we've got a special guest joining us to help break it all down, our friend David Pepper. He's also got a new book out, Saving Democracy, a User's Manual for Every American, which we'll definitely talk about today. David, welcome.
1: Thank you. Great to be back with you.
0: Alex, uh, with, with all that we have
2: to talk about, where, where do you want to get started, man? Yeah, I... We got to start with one of the coups. I suppose we should go to Russia first. Um so it, it, this one and started with I think it kind of started with a bang. It definitely ended with a whimper, but uh Prigozhin's n- not really a cuckoo. They they took Rostov. They started moving towards Moscow. They claimed they shot down a plane and then it just kind of fizzled out. Um apparently the whole time he was negotiating with the with the Putin and the Russian government and like you mentioned at the top show I think Lukashenko, the Belarusian president, was like a mediator on all this, and 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 then Prigozhin just kind of stood down. So I wanted both of your take as kind of very active in the pro democracy space. What do you guys make of of what the hell just happened in Russia?
1: I mean, I'll say and this is David. I I um I don't want to claim to know too much. I don't think any of us know that much. But w- one, it it obviously was quite jarring to see someone get that far into russia and it shows you how committed russia must be in ukraine that that here's a guy just going like crazy sort of like sherman through the heart of russia towards moscow which is i'm sure pretty alarming to putin and it looked like putin got a little worried might have flown away at the same time you know i i did a little russian history in college uh and and beyond and i focused on international relations oftentimes this is when When someone has a close call and doesn't lose things get brutal pretty quickly on everyone who looks like they were involved and you go back to some of the worst moments uh when when stalin came to power it was at these moments so as as others have said you know some of the people if there looks like there was involvement from the russian military that knew about it didn't quite follow through but even even was aware my guess is that putin as much as he looked weak, he's probably wanting to make up for that right now by being very tough on anyone who was involved. So I I would think there could be some really shaky and potentially violent moments in the coming days and weeks as Putin tries to figure out why did this get so hairy for him so quickly and who was involved. So my guess is it's it's a disturbing time right now behind the Kremlin doors and walls.
0: Yeah, I mean, my take on it was, you know, a lot of it, wasn't all that surprising, I think, given where Prigozhin, you know, had been for the last month, uh, you know, railing against the the military leadership, uh, you know, avoiding direct criticism of Putin. But the thing that was, that stood out, even uh, them moving uh, as they did um, towards Moscow, it wasn't just the reaction of any troops they ran into, which seemed to either you know, basically, put up zero resistance, let them drive around their barricades uh, without, you know, without anything. But the the more significant thing I thing that I saw, which I thought was the most interesting, was the population itself. I and mean, Roscoff is like uh, a million people, and uh, you know, you saw them like walking by the military vehicles. It wasn't like they rose up. You know, if you if you think about it. A lot of authoritarians at that moment, the, the populace would rise up, not necessarily against them, but rise up against the uh, those attacking their dear leader. And that that did not happen. Not only did it not happen, they were, you know, kind of high-fiving and things. So I think that that sends a signal to others that uh are looking at uh, you know, wanting to to take over leadership and sort of uh, you know, you know, looking in the mirror and thinking that could be me. It looks like the, you know, the population, uh, even in Moscow, you, you know, you did not see any, it, you know, it, anybody in the popular, I mean, average Russians uh, responding in a way that looked like they would support, you know, were willing to, to rise up to thwart what Prigozhin was doing. That he wouldn't have succeeded in, in any means because on that road is, you know, 25,000 or so, maybe it was 50,000 troops. Uh, would have been annihilated with by just you know an air attack being strung out on that road. so I don't, it doesn't mean that he would have succeeded at all if he hadn't turned around. But I do think it sent a signal, all of it that I has to put Putin on edge as as David said, but also I think it has to be giving uh, others you know some some ideas, uh, which is never a good thing when you're an authoritarian like putin and and need uh, to have people fear you to stay in power.
2: So, guys, what does this mean more broadly for either some of the other autocrats that have been kind of under the spotlight, the Lukashenkos of the world, Orban's? Was this enough of a crack in in what people assumed was absolute rule that it might start encouraging others?
1: Uh, you know, I would just say I think that the Russian situation is is unique because of just how insane this invasion of Ukraine has been from the beginning. And I, I, I hate to say it, I think normally these, you know, these despotic figures are actually, unfortunately, able to secure themselves pretty well. But at some point, when you have the level of corruption you have in Russia, so that, that even their army is not nearly as effective as they probably all believed. All oh, right. I mean, that's why Wagner's even there. Right, exactly. And then secondly, you have a suicidal, an absolutely disastrous, I mean, we're going to look back our entire lives. We will not see a decision made as disastrous, probably in our lifetimes, as what Putin did invading Ukraine. I mean, it's truly like a self-immolating a mistake. And I think that makes it that may make him uniquely uh, vulnerable to people at some point saying this is all insane. Like people are dying by the tens of thousands and men some and all this, and and now you have literally the Wagner guy explaining half of it which we've been saying that Russia hasn't been hearing. So I think this is, you know, the, the lesson maybe to people who have gotten themselves pretty much in Wisconsin powers, don't do absurd, you know, near suicidal stuff like invading another country, not even knowing if your army's ready for it, because this, this is a massive blunder uh, long term for Russia that, that it's going to define for years to come, you know, that country.
0: I also think it, it you know, it's it, it's been interesting the silence uh, with Republicans with Trump, uh, Tucker Carlson, I mean, all the people who were, you, you, you know, uh, basically cheering Russia and Putin on in this thing. It, you know, they'll I'm sure reemerge quickly in support of Putin, but uh, it was during the whole thing it was amazing how how the crickets, you know, but uh, we'll see where it develops. But I do think uh, it's got to shake. I, think, I mean the, the one thing is clear it, it, is that it takes the the best the strongest part of the, the, the you know Russia's uh military the best troops that they had the Wagner group takes them either either off the field or at least splintered and that can't be good for for what Russia is trying to you know Putin's trying to achieve and uh, you know look I think it's still very very tough for the Ukrainians uh just a war of attrition they've got to get beyond that because they can that's a you know they can they can win a battle uh lose a, you know win a battle 3 to 1 uh three casualties on the russian side and one one casualty on for every casualty on the ukrainian side and that's still a stalemate even even when they're that successful so uh but I do think this helps uh and you know I was on the ground, um, David, uh, in Ukraine, prior to this invasion, you know, doing some work there, uh, trying to strengthen democracy, but it it was so clear to me, I mean, and to anybody that was there, uh, as the rumblings of Putin's invasion were going on, it was so clear uh, how hard and committed the Ukrainian people themselves were to never be ruled by this guy, and so, and for them, to so underestimate the, the, just the, the, the staying power of the Ukrainian people, uh, certainly with good leadership, which may have also been surprising. But again, if you were there, you, 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 you weren't surprised. It's just astonishing to me that Putin blundered as badly as he has. And it, it really does, I think, in the end, will, will cost him the leadership.
2: Joe, that's a great point. L- let's take a break before we come back and talk about the other coup that was thwarted.
0: That trippy Show will always be free with support from our advertisers, and we try to work with partners we believe in. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you keep what's stressing you bottled up, it can really start to drag you down. That's where therapy can help. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/trippy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel
2: trippy Guys, I want to get to the, the other coup, as Joey mentioned at the top, that was thwarted this week, and this one certainly much closer to home. The Supreme Court finally issued their decision on Moore v. Harper, uh, long awaited. We've been talking about it for months. They shot down the independent legislature theory that, that was kind of totally bonkers, no kind of about it. David, why was this such a big deal for the pro-democracy movement?
1: So it was a big deal if you see and this is why I wrote this first book Laboratories of Autocracy once you see that the front line of their own, their attack on democracy are state houses you see how important and how devastating this argument was if they had succeeded because the argue, you know once they've used the state houses as their attack on democracy and the extremism in these state houses that is largely unsupported by the people. That's why they go to state houses versus the U.S. Senate, because they can get away with it and state houses. You'll see very quickly that, that whether it's other statewide offices or whether it's trying to change the way amend, uh, constitutions can be amended by the people, whatever it is, they're always trying to create walls around themselves and not be held accountable, these state houses. And this was an attempt out of all these other types of attempts to not be held accountable. This was an attempt to literally wholesale say, none of us in these state houses are accountable to the state courts of our states, and which would mean they're not accountable even to the constitutions of their states as interpreted by state courts. And if they had succeeded in that argument, it would have been a monumental change. It would have meant basically that, you know, imagine Congress not being subject to a federal courts. This would have been like saying state houses, state legislatures, as crazy as they are in Ohio, Tennessee, can do anything they want when it comes to election matters, gerrymandering, you name it, and state courts don't even have jurisdiction to review what they do. It was, as you said, totally a rogue, insane theory, goes back to the founding of checks and balances, it eliminates a mass, basically, the accountability against state houses by their own state constitutions would have disappeared overnight. And in states where you happen to have—and not all states have this, unfortunately—but in states where you have, like we now have in Wisconsin, a court that is independent of that state house, that would have been that argument would have said, "Well, we don't care what that court says; it doesn't even have any any jurisdiction over that state house." So, I, you know, I I always, you know, you can't, you don't want to predict too much about this current U.S. Supreme Court. But it was such a lawless argument where you're literally asking judges to take out other judges as no longer being relevant. It always felt like a bridge too far. But is it a relief that it went down the right way? Yes. It's also, by the way, good news that it, this could have been declared moot because the North Carolina Supreme Court changed hands. And it's a good thing, I believe. So this is no longer lingering out there that the court didn't say, well, we don't have to address it. They took it up. And they rejected it, and good for six of them, not just, you know, five of them, good for six of them for saying, this is completely lawless, this is completely unhinged, and they rejected it. So it really was a good day that really protects us from what would have been even the further erosion and a disappearance, really, of the rule of law in many of these states.
0: You know, the one thing I've seen, though, are uh, you know some cautionary folks out there, Rick Hassan, who we're going to have on next week. I saw his comments that because uh, we want to talk uh, talk about this uh in his he's uh, you know that it was you know don't don't get too celebratory here that the, the Supreme Court actually they they did the right thing it was 6-3 uh, it is a you know big sigh of relief uh, but they did keep the door open for the Supreme Court itself to second guess state uh state supreme courts uh, what's your yeah. view on that is, it, is
1: yeah they did do that and i saw what rick wrote and i actually always worried that they would even though i didn't think they'd go full in for this crazy independent state legislative theory or doctrine i always worried like they did with with well, like roberts tried to do with dobbs for example that they'd come up with some middle ground that would get them into an area they've never been in I actually thought they maybe would go further and say, well, we can't do it with si- certain elections, but with others, the legislature, let's say around gerrymandering, can do whatever they want. So I always worry that they, they'd do something, they'd pull a strand in one way, and as Rick's right. I mean, they basically, they you know, Bush v. Gore has never really been cited ever since Bush v. Gore, where the Supreme Court did basically override the Florida Supreme Court. This is the first opinion where they did say in this in the six justices. Well, there may be moments where we the Supreme Court of that state has some power, but if they get too crazy, we can get in there. In a way, this is just saying they still agree with that in Bush v. Gore, and it gives it a little more robustness to it. But in terms of the worst case, it, it's it's not it's a it's a direction that should worry us. In the wrong hands, with the wrong justices, it's a direction that can be used for a lot of trouble. But in the grand scheme of it, it, I actually thought they might even go further in some sort of half-baked compromise versus the wholesale re- eject, rejection, which the independent state Legislative Doctrine should have been rejected wholesale, completely illegitimate. This didn't quite do that, but it came close enough that I was happy, despite I think, a fair caution from, from Rick Hassan, who knows his better than just about anybody.
2: Yeah, you, you know, I think one of the things you said, I, I, I know this is a a pretty huge win for democracy. Um, you pointed out in your substack that you were optimistic we'd go one for two in the last couple of weeks, not two for two. I mean, this comes on the heels of the Alabama decision and obviously the yeah. Supreme Court deciding to to not take up the the Louisiana challenge. I mean, it, this is setting us up pretty well for next year.
1: Yeah, I, I will say I I thought that the court off it's like a Noah's Ark, the court often works in pairs of cases. And you guys have all been through the last couple of years where we get a big win and then there's some loss somewhere else that we, that we mm-hmm. often don't notice because we're celebrating the win. I thought what would happen is we would win Moore v Harper and lose that Alabama case. And the Alabama case was the one where they literally are splitting up majority-minority districts to reduce they're, – they're splitting up the black communities of states to reduce the number of majority-minority districts – which I That was the one where I thought, given Shelby County and Robert's history, they would go along with a, with a theory that was the Voting Rights Act no longer protects against splitting up black districts to minimize representation. And to their credit there, frankly, without even the kind of compromise uh, that, that, that Joe just mentioned, they basically said, no, you still cannot do that, Alabama and Louisiana and Georgia and potentially other states and that's a big win because that would have been the fi- that's the final protection against gerrymandering that the court has allowed and has upheld they kept it and as you said this has implications for 24 there's at least one district from each of those states that this nove- this last november were allowed to exist that we now all believe will violate the voting rights act protection that was upheld that should mean if the timing works out there are at least three seats or maybe more it will be ungerrymandered for November of 24, which is good news. My worry of, for both of you is that's going to make Kevin McCarthy, though, not just sit, they never just sit back and take the losses, do they? No. What they're going to do in states like Ohio and North Carolina is say, well, we're losing three seats in, in Georgia, Louisiana, and um, Alabama because of that ruling. So, what are they going to do? They're going to go to other states like North Carolina and Ohio that also have new districts coming and say, "Well, let's grab ourselves some better seats here." And I worry for for people for newly elected Democrats in these states that McCarthy's going to tell the leaders of these states, "Hey, you got to carve up some more seats for me and try and follow the law." So I think it's good for those states. It gives us half of the majority, that half of their margin, the majority, they just lost through that Alabama decision. But I, I worry that in other states, they're going to try and make up that gap by screwing over some other communities with really egregious gerrymandering.
0: Well, it's exactly what they did. I mean, I mean, you're, 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 the worry is they'll do it some other way in other states because you know that's essentially what happened in Alabama, in these in these states where the where the Supreme Court or, or the courts just kicked the can down the road past the 2022 election. Yeah, I mean, they knew right. what, <laughs> there's something wrong here, but hey, we're going to let it stay in place. We're not going to let you. You know, you will let you. Sp- Keep it, uh, uh, you know, do, you know, do this this time, but uh, we'll we'll revisit it. And they didn't revisit it till after 2022. Had they had they ruled like this back then, there would probably be three, four, five seats. I mean, it could be McCarthy wouldn't have won the majority, but uh, uh, but now it, it, it's it's going to happen in a way where yeah, we pick up seats, but it, you're right, David McCarthy, and them they're going to keep they're just going to go to other places and try to get away with whatever they can. They're not going to stop. Yeah.
1: It, And what they can do is they can take districts where it is not technically a majority-minority district, although you might have an African-American representative. And the trigger is, is could you have had a majority-minority seat? And let's say say a district's 30% African-American. That may not qualify in a way that triggers the protection that was triggered in the Alabama case. So they can mess with other districts in a way that potentially, at least, doesn't have an egregious voting rights violation. And that's what they're going to be on the hunt for. Where can they get away with that?
2: So there are a bunch of other questions we've already gotten from listeners about some of the the kind of finer points about Morphe Harper. As Joe mentioned, we'll bring Rick on next week to talk about it. But um, before we get to uh, kind of a, a, a bad week for Trump too, by the way, let's take a quick break.
0: Support for That Trippy Show comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need, featuring a suite of integrated business applications. Odoo connects your business operations together so you get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything: CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com/trippy. That's o d o o .com/trippy.
2: Guys, we got to talk about the Trump tapes. There's more of them. There's always more of them. There's always a Trump tape, right? Um, I think this week CNN broke a new one where he's talking about his espionage case. He says, quote, see, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. And he's holding up the file. And then his staffer responds, now we have a problem. Uh, Guys, he's not, Joe, he's not really having the best couple of weeks, is he? No.
0: As to paraphrase, Lordy, there are tapes and They just keep coming. But, uh, you know, again, I don't really think in the end um, that for his followers that any of this is going to matter. I mean, it just, you know, ever since it's like no one's learned the lesson since he's come down the escalator, no matter what happens temporarily. You know, even McCarthy, who, you know, I guess a a few days ago said, uh, you know, that he's he, he can't win. Then flipped, right? You know, suddenly all the pressure's on. People are calling. Uh, uh, Trump's angry. And where's McCarthy now? Oh, you know, it was it was it was all uh, taken out of context. He he believes that uh, that Trump is is the strongest candidate out there. I mean, it's it's just they will continue to fall in line because the MAGA base isn't going anywhere. I don't think, and so you know, it's been a bad week. I think legally it's been horrendous. <laughs> you know, politically, I don't think it matters much in terms of his his base vote. I think it, it makes it uh, he he is going to end up, in my view, uh, 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 you know, winning the Republican Party's nomination, and I think that, and I don't really see that changing. But I mean, one of the interesting things that you look at New Hampshire, where where yes. DeSantis is you know is still in second and and Chris Christie is is now in third you know coming up but tell you know somebody has to explain to me how those two the the voters that are voting for Christie and the voters that are voting for DeSantis somehow join each other as one of them as one of them falls out of the uh, out of the race so i just think in the end it's a it's been a bad week legally in the end these admissions are going to End up uh, putting Trump in a very bad place. His only way out, and I've been saying this forever, he's only got one way out: it's to win the presidency. And I think you know, uh, uh, I, so I don't think he. This is going to impact the base. I think it makes him uh, a lot uh, worse off in a general election, which is always good. But David, what do you think?
1: I mean, I actually totally agree with you. Uh, I, I, as a lawyer, it's it's as good an ev- as evidence as you could ever have. So I think it's incriminating, it shows intent, like it's it shows how nuts he is, but it shows that he knew what when when so I did a whole video on this coming to as he was moving those boxes in and out of that storage room, it's clear he was looking for certain stuff. Like he knows what he wanted to show those people. He knows which documents. So it's not just incriminating that he somehow knew it was classified. He's clearly looking for stuff that he thinks make him look good, or maybe with someone else, maybe that document's valuable. So when all those boxes were being shuffled in and out of that storage room, it wasn't just happenstance. They were looking for stuff. And that video, that tape, kind of shows that. He even makes a joke about, this just shows how much he knows it's incriminating. He makes a joke that, oh, this is the kind of thing that Hillary Clinton would have handed out. That, that's the thing that he's been saying for years she should be locked up for. And he makes a joke that he's doing the same thing. So, but, but again, all that, the, I don't think it would matter anyway, but it especially doesn't matter to his base or to his primary when his opponents excuse it all. I mean, they are the ones, except for Christie, to his credit, right. all the other ones are saying, this is all being weaponized and this isn't fair. Well, if you're running against somebody and they're caught being a criminal and you say they're fine, of course you're not going to beat them. You're literally contributing to the conspiracy theory that he's a victim. So so it won't – it maybe wouldn't matter anyway, but the combination of DeSantis and the Vivek guy and Nikki Haley and all of them, just unable to even say a word of criticism amid even that stuff, is. of course he's going to keep moving ahead and, and moving further ahead of DeSantis. And, and I do hope Chris Christie gets on the debate stage because America should at least have somebody on a big stage pointing out how ridiculous it all is, especially – I saw Christie go off on this – when he says he was indicted for us, yeah, I mean, what what is going on with this guy? And the rest of them just go along with it all. So of course he keeps doing better.
0: It reminds me of uh, it reminds me a lot of Berlusconi in Italy. I did the campaign uh, when Romano Prodi uh, defeated Berlusconi for prime minister of uh, uh, of Italy, and in that uh, in that uh, campaign, Berlusconi actually said that he had sacrificed more for the Italian people than Christ had had, uh, had sacrificed for the world for humanity and this is like it's the it's the same kind of uh, rhetoric it's just a, I mean it's almost like Trump's going to school
1: the thing that's been so interesting is is especially you see especially how flawed DeSantis is when he gives his woke speeches i mean it's just on and on and on and he's been doing it from the moment he was being talked about as a candidate. And he almost gives this sort of uh, sort of false equivalent to the Churchill speech about we'll stand here and fight, we'll stand there. And, it, and one, one thing that's been interesting is how horribly that strategy has done. Uh, that this entire woke thing, which is he's weaponized in Florida as his governing me- methodology, has clearly just fell completely, you know, on deaf ears and hasn't done anything for him. So I know they're all talking this way, but the guy who's led with it all the way through, he's done nothing but go down. So I think even in the Republican side, it's just so kind of bizarre and narrow. It hasn't gone anywhere, which I think it's a good yeah, sign. Yeah, you know, and the honest.
0: other thing, David, is you know, I should we should mention this. Biden's actually had a pretty good week. I mean, with be, between just the. The schism that happened in the coup in, you know, Russia with uh, Wagner and Putin, uh, I think, you know, it became, you know, and again, I mean, I I think the success of holding the, RL, the alliance together and being supportive of Ukraine. But at the same time, um, you got new polling out now today, I think, uh, that has his approval rating at uh, 45 and how he's doing his job with a 53 disapp- that You know, that's a... Uh, you know, in October same poll, it was forty one fifty four. So it's 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 like he's ticked up. And you look at the yeah, the media coverage bit still negative, but consumer confidence is up, inflation's down, unemployment record lows. Uh, not to mention all the craziness that we're seeing in the tapes and everything with Biden and 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 uh, DeSantis with the woke uh, uh, craziness. So, you know, I think they're switch they're moving to this Bidenomics uh, messaging you know, and focusing on the economy. And I think, I know you've been, you know, pretty, you know, talked about, we need to emphasize that more, particularly in Ohio and other places where Democrats haven't talked a lot about, about, you know, the economics in a way that connected with working people. So I, I think Biden's actually trending up in a week where both Trump and, and DeSantis, have, have, you know, are running into big problems.
2: So, David, before, and I want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about this before we run out of time. We we got to talk about your book. This is, you know, current events have been kind of crazy, but this is like too important for really all of our our listeners. Um, You get a new book. It's called Saving Democracy, a user's manual for every American. And the reason why we wanted to talk to you today was the question we always get more than any other question is, yeah, okay. This is all scary. What can I actually do? And I, I think your book kind of tries to answer that question.
1: yeah, and let me give a little context. and I just you you're doing a lot of this great stuff, and I mentioned in the book, like the Union and Getting people to see that they can play a role. The more I've written and talked to people, the more I think that the the overall frame of American politics is so disempowering to the people you just mentioned because, if you're watching MSNBC or something else, and I don't blame them, but this is just the frame of, of American politics, you'd think it's all coming down to Jack Smith prosecuting Trump in Florida and a couple swing states that will determine everything. And so if you're not on that tri- that jury in Florida, and if you're not one of those swing states, there's really nothing you can do. And you you watch that scene and you're all around this country thinking, oh my gosh, like democracy's dying and I'm being told that I really don't have much to do except maybe send a check to Pennsylvania or something. And the point of my book is, and we've talked about it before, the front line and their are on tack on democracy is not Congress. It's the state houses of this country as we talked about through this um, Mor v. Harper case. It's Oklahoma state house. It's the fact that 50% of those Tennessee Republicans were unopposed. It's school boards across the country. The place where they are doing the damage isn't Marjorie Taylor Greene's work. It's the work of hundreds of people just like her in states that no one knows and half the time aren't even opposed. And so basically the message to your listeners all over the country is I don't care what state you're in. Blue state, which may be neglected because we don't think it's a swing state for a federal election, so we don't turn out like we should have like New York last year or a red state where half of them are unopposed, so they're the ones writing the bills that the Supreme Court upholds, like Dobbs. Wherever you are, you are on the front line. And there's not only is it wrong that there's nothing you can do, there's actually a ton you can do, and they will win if we don't do it. So this book goes through from engaging suppressed voters that have been disenfranchised because they don't want the Obama coalition coming back in the future, whether it's the fact that we're leaving too many extremists uncontested in districts, whether that they want to take over school boards and if we don't fight back, they just may, whether it's making a whole lot of noise at every state house where they're passing stream bills, sometimes in silence because no one's paying attention. I go through all the steps that everyday people can take wherever they are to, as I say in the book, go on offense for democracy. Right now, we're not even playing defense in too many places. This book is saying, I don't care if you're in Tennessee, Ohio, New York State, go on offense for democracy. And there are so many ways that every single person, whatever they do in life and wherever they live, can do so. And the book tries to show people the very specific ways and the organizations like the union they can work with. Yeah, man, we done. need
0: that. I mean, that, as Alex points out, it's the single biggest question we get everywhere from everybody. And I mean, to, to have a, a you know a guidebook like this that that lays it out on what people can do because I mean, it, it you know it really is. I I keep saying you know we're at a place here where it's it's really this isn't about two parties or three parties. It's about citizens. Agreeing to put their differences aside and work at all levels and across all fifty states, as you talk about, you know, get engaged, seize the opportunity and and work together to protect and keep this a great American experiment of Republican democracy moving forward and protect it. And that's going to take every single one of us not being you know not you, you, again, you just look at the the you know cable, it's all. Discouraging, nothing you can do. No, there's a lot we can do, and I think your book
2: really lays out what people can do. Yet, you know, I, I can't. Well, and and it's really optimistic too. Yeah, right, David. Absolutely.
1: It, yeah, that was. I was going to add, and you, you, and you know, we're all alarmed, but we also not only it's optimistic, but it's realistically optimistic. We had some wins last November that are the canary in the coal mine. That if we focus and we see where the threats to democracy are, we can win. I'm not talking there about the Fetterman win and the Warnock win. Those are the kinds we do pay attention to. I'm talking about the fact that every single election denier running for Secretary of State in swing state lost. That tells us something. In a year that we're not supposed to win because we had the White House. How about picking up the Pennsylvania State House, the Minnesota Senate, the Michigan State House, electing a Democrat in Wisconsin in April for the Supreme Court that's a win streak, and it's building because people like the ones who listen to you and take part in organizations like the union and others I mentioned in my book and I tell people to join, people are, one, they are seeing the extremism finally for what it is, and it's been hidden. Remember how Lindsey Graham won a national abortion ban after Dobbs? Mitch McConnell said no. They want to hide their extremism, but after Dobbs with Trump and DeSantis, With Marjorie Taylor Greene, their extremism is not hidden. That becomes a huge opportunity. We take advantage of that opportunity by doing all the things that we all can do. And one other thing, running everywhere. When they're extremists at the presidential, Congress, and statehouse level, we make a huge mistake when we only focus on presidential, don't we? We should be running against every single extremist who's voting for abortion bans, no exceptions, banning books, et cetera. All that stuff is toxic but we give them a pass, we don't run. So the book is basically saying at a moment where they are giving us opportunity, it's time to get to work with a much deeper cane plan for democracy than we've been doing in recent years. So I'm an optimist and we see from recent history, if we do it, there's actually victories right in front of us. And in the next couple of years, I think we can keep that winning streak going. That's why I frankly wrote the book as quickly as I did, because I see that moment right in front of us.
2: Joe, that is a great place to end. I can't
0: recommend this book enough. You know, as somebody who's been, uh, you know, active in the grassroots, always believed uh, that we needed to play in all fifty states. That it's a mistake. I mean, it, you know, going back to 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 Doug Jones in Alabama in and, in and, uh, two thousand seventeen, you know, it 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 you know, yeah, we lost it three years later, but you know, he 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 proved that if we actually put up good candidates and we and, and people. Aren't despondent, don't aren't apathetic, but actually can rally to somebody. And at every level, we need to do this at, at every level. I think this this is a really important book. And um, and David, we're you know we're definitely going to put uh, uh, Saving Democracy as u- a user's manual for every American. Uh, we'll we'll put a link to in the show notes. And you know I can't recommend enough for people to to get a copy to read it and 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 take it to heart and get involved and. Uh, at wherever you can, wherever you are, whether it's blue, uh red state, even like Alabama, we can build it it's gonna take time, but we can build and win. Uh and we can definitely defeat the extremists in some of these places, like like Jones did when he defeated Roy Moore. So um uh, and particularly I think David's absolutely right about this for too long. Um the 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 National Party didn't really Take seriously looking at local, state, and legislative elections, uh, and, and local, you know, school boards, things like that, and and that's how they they start to take hold with their extremism and can ban books and do all the things. And that's the other thing, David. You know, one of the things I think happened is that it's become clear it's not just be- their extremism that's become clear. I agree with you there. But it's also, I think, you know, uh, and I made this mistake, I think, for most of the last cycle, I kept saying, you know, they do the crazy, we do the work. But there, the extremism and the crazy is now being, it's clear to a lot of Americans that it's also dangerous and dangerous to our republic and our democracy. And I, I think that in your book, Motivation and a Manual for Every American to, to Take Action is a combination that will only make a difference in in 2024. David, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for writing it. And thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. David's new book, Saving Democracy, a user's manual for every American, is available now. Everyone should check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes. A reminder that this podcast will always be free and is part of Resolute Square. So check us out at the latest at resolutesquare.com slash trippy. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen and tell your friends to give us a lesson to uh, listen to. You can always send us a question to Show at gmail.com or leave us a question or review on iTunes. See you next week. Thanks again, David.